Okay, and good morning once again, everybody, and welcome back to the Kanika Baseball Podcast. I'm your host, Kenny, and I am joined, as always, by my lovely co-host and beautiful wife, Nika. Good morning, Nika. Good morning. Good morning to you. Good morning to our new and returning listeners. Thanks for tuning in on this gorgeous Sunday, July 23rd. Yes, it is a gorgeous Sunday. It is also a Hall of Fame Sunday. So it's a, a special day for baseball and, well, what is considered, the, I guess, the most prestigious group of players past to have played the game. Okay. And we have a couple inductees this year, Scott Rowland and Fred McGriff, and a, and a few other baseball personalities from writers, broadcasters, and other former players that do things, that have done things to help make the game what it is today. So it's a special day for baseball, and we're going to talk about that a little bit later. Uh, but before we get into anything, we got to get into all of the action from yesterday. And I'm going to start right away with where we left off on our previous podcast with Padres Watch and Angels Watch, or should I say more appropriately, Otani Watch. Nevertheless, uh, I wanted to start with the Padres. Since we last spoke to our listeners, they were 2-1 and one, heading into this big series with at Detroit. And so far, so good. They've taken care of business here. Two, so far. 2-0. and oh. So if you're following along at home over there, that means when we said the Padres had to go 9-3 and three over their next 12 games, which would take us to July 30th, which is a week from today, we said that they needed to go 9-3 and three over that stretch to get back to 500, which it's, it's not always like the, the greatest, you're just 500, but... But this year, that will put you kind of back in the hunt. As we saw yesterday, the Padres are five and a half games back as of this morning of the wild card. That's nowhere near, you can't phone it in. Look at what the Cardinals have been able to do the past few seasons. They've always been down more than this, you know, and they somehow find ways to turn it around. I also want to point out a couple things from the Padres. Ryan Weathers is gone. It seems like he's been kicked out of the rotation. They brought up Jackson Wolf from Double A to pitch yesterday, and he had a rough inning. But aside from that, I liked what I saw. Uh, he looks like a pitcher. He works like a pitcher. And I, I just, body language speaks a lot to me. And I liked his body language a lot more than anything I've ever seen out of Ryan Weathers. No, no disrespect to Ryan Weathers. I'm a lefty. I like to watch lefties pitch. Both of these guys are lefties. I preferred what I saw to Jackson Wolf. And, and it's possible he wasn't ready until now. So possibly, we'll, I mean, we'll take him, you know. They, they had a rain delayed yesterday. Uh, yeah, and he fought to stay in the game, which is, I don't know if uh, Detroit's pitcher did too, and I don't remember exactly how long it was, but generally if you start a game and, and an hour goes by and you don't pitch, like, that's not good, and and they don't necessarily always let you go back out. They don't want you to hurt yourself, so I'm glad he fought to stay in the game because I don't think he knows what his future is, you know? I don't think he knows if he's going to be sent back down or if he was just a role starting here or if this was like a role player moment for him, And mm -hmm. but nevertheless, he made I the most of it. He might stay. I'm he might stay. Yeah, he seemed to be getting on with people in the dugout and in the coaches and stuff. Sure, but obviously it's easier pitching. when you're winning. Absolutely, and also they need pitching. And and one last thing I want to say about that is uh, it was great to see Robert Suarez back on the mound for the Padres on Friday night, working a scoreless eighth inning. Man, has that been missed all year? That that bridge to Hater, you know, Robert Suarez was such a huge part of the Padres' playoff run last year. I don't think it should be underestimated how much he contributed down the stretch just to get to Hater. You're also forgetting uh, Luis Camposano. That's back. 
the Oh, concert. yeah. We should also mention Campy's back. He had a four-hit game last night. I think he had a bag full of RBIs. The Padres put up 14 runs last night, by the way. And so, anyways, yeah, their record is now 4-1 and one in this stretch where we said they needed to go 9-3. and three. So, what does that mean? That means that they now have to go 5-2 and two over this next week. So, next Sunday, we'll see how they do it. Mm-hmm. They got to win today. They got to take care of business. They're on Peacock this morning, so they're starting it really early. They're probably going to be on before our podcast is even posted just because of timing over here on the West Coast. But nevertheless, we'll be uh, watching that right after we get off the air with you, everybody. Okay, I want to mention a couple more things about the Padres before we move on to the Angels. But right now, there's an interesting column in the standings on MLB.com, which is called XWL. And if you look at that column at the top of it and highlight it, it will tell you that this is what is called the expected wins-loss record for this team based on their run differential. And what's interesting, if you look at the team like the Padres and maybe why so many people and fans and writers and baseball heads still kind of have hope that the Padres might make the playoffs, you can kind of hang your head on this on this little column here. If you scroll down, it Based on the, well, first I should say the Padres right now have the third best runs score differential in the National League. They are at a plus 54. There are only two teams that have a better run differential in the National League, and that is the Atlanta Braves, of course, and the Dodgers, of course. That should surprise nobody. But what's surprising, I think, is that the Padres are third. Their record indicates it doesn't seem reflective of what these numbers tell. You know what I mean? So if you look at what their expected win-loss record should be right now, it says 55 and 44 based on the runs that they've scored and given up, which means that at 48 and 51, they are playing seven games below what their expectation should be. And when you look at how bunched up all the teams are right now, you know, obviously that would put them right back in the thick of the middle of things. I just thought that was a really interesting stat and, and, Something I, I kind of want to keep an eye on, you know, as we go on. And I think it shows why if you're a Padres fan or if you're a fan of baseball and, and wondering, you know, if the Padres are going to make a run here, I think you can hang your hat on that statistic alone right now to say, like, well, maybe. I'm not saying it guarantees anything. All I'm saying is, like, well, if it balances out, if things, like, as they tend to do in baseball, if they balance out by the end of the year, is this going to impact, you know, like, If you look at where some of these other teams, too, should be, like the Marlins, the Marlins are six games over 500, but their expected win-loss record is actually four games below 500 based on how many runs they've scored and how many they've given up. They're all in the negative, you know? All these playoff teams, Miami, Cincinnati even, Milwaukee, Arizona is, is plus 15 versus, like, the Padres are plus 54. They've scored 54 more runs than they've given up. It's just an odd year of baseball. That's all I'm kind of pointing out here. And, and if you want to hold on to some number. hope, that's something to hold on to right now. Yeah. All right. Well, Father Joe is pitching today for the Padres, so he's been just really solid since coming back from that unfortunate toe accident in the preseason. So, We'll be watching, but we got to move on. We got to move on to Otani Watch. All right. Okay, so Otani Watch was happening on the West Coast last night, and it did not go well. Again, this is one of those weird situations where I just look at a game like this and wonder, what what were you doing, man? Look, I don't like to make a big stink out of things. but It wasn't just Otani. The whole team didn't show up for oh, the Angels. Otani is not going to 
be Superman every day. Right. Nobody, nobody is. Nobody has been in the history of the game. Not even Babe Ruth or any. You know, as much as we immortalize these people, Hall of Fame talk. You're gonna get shut out. You're gonna get skunked at the plate. Otani was 0 for 4 with three Ks last night. You know, very uncharacteristic of him this season, at least. I think maybe this whole Otani watch is weighing on him. It's getting close to the deadline. He doesn't know whether he's going to stay with the Angels or be traded. Well, but you understand what I was saying on the last show was that I really wanted the Angels to rise up as a team in Mm -hmm. this moment and say, we're going to fight for Otani. I I really felt like they needed to kind of take this attitude as a team, whether it's the manager calling like a team meeting, Phil Nevin, and saying like, hey, guys, we, we can't ignore what's going on in the in the real world here. You know, it, it would be foolish to just come into work every day and not talk about what's happening. I agree. These guys are going to a job just like you and I are every day out there. Uh, everybody out there goes to work. Most people go out to work. They like to work on something and, and they like to be put in a position, I think, by the people managing them to have some direction, have some. So when you have a situation like this going on at work where like, Hey, there's the other, the team across town wants our guy, and it's not a secret. I, I just wish they would have been like, "Hey, we got to play as a team over these next few weeks and and fight for our player here, so we can make a run." Yeah, I know Otani made a statement a couple days ago that he is not thinking about the trade deadline, or it's not on his mind. If it's not on his mind, that's great, but. The rest of the team is probably thinking it, too. It's not just on him. The team, the management. The management. The it's always there. Upper brass, the entire organization, the fan base. Mm-hmm. It's it's on everyone's mind right now. Yep. I just think it's uh, it's a tough situation all up and down the board. We, we've all sort of been watching it from afar this year. We knew it was a possibility. We knew that the Angels needed to play well. And I think when, when Rendon and Trout, went out like right away right like together almost at the beginning of july it really started to like escalate this conversation like whoa whoa what does this mean you know like and again it's sad i i just think like to get shut out at home on a saturday night like a a big crowd it's it's terrible for you it's not it doesn't it's not the best performance no it's not and and I don't think it's it doesn't get any easier. The Pittsburgh games are the games you're supposed to win. We should mention Pittsburgh really quick. Their call up, they called up uh, a young guy, Andy Rodriguez, this week. He hit his first major league homer last night against the Angels. So congratulations to you, Andy Rodriguez. Uh, oh, I know what I wanted to mention is that the Angels actually have to face Mitch Keller today, who is like the only really good, great pitcher that the Pirates have. So they have a tough afternoon ahead of them the, the pitcher that they faced last night is two and one right now with a 450 era and he fired blanks last night on you which means he didn't give up any runs which means his era went down drastically last night it was a lot higher than 450 going into the game last night so he gained what i mean it means you should have hit better than you did it makes me wonder are they just outmatched on the managerial front sometimes when it comes to getting prepared uh I don't know. They're not going to win every single game when they go out there, but at the same time, those are the games you should be winning. Well, and they you definitely need to win them when, when teams like Seattle now are winning three in a row. Yeah. And they have now passed you again. You're, you're back down to fourth place in the musical chairs with the Mariners and the Angels, by the way. But these are the things that just stand out at the end of the season. Oh, three nothing lost to Pittsburgh at home. And then we have to face their ace the next day. Yeah, um, it's tough. It is tough. Nevertheless, the Angels are four games back of the wild card. And if I'm being unbiased, with, with the Padres being five and a half games back, you know, they're not out of it. No. You know. I think some guys just need to step up on the Angels team. And some of them have, like Mickey Moniak or uh, Zach 
metal. Yeah. They both stepped up. At, at you just, yeah, for sure. Is. You know, it's just, I think when you are missing trout during all of this, it becomes painful. You know, like it, it's just how realistic is it of a run when you're missing quote unquote, one of the top five players in baseball went healthy and and no one knows what he's going to be like when he comes back from a, a hand. He got a yeah. bone removed from his hand. Like it's not healing. It's, it's removed. So, okay. Well, I think that's about all I got for Otani watch right now and just tough times in Anaheim, I think for, for the halos all around the board, but, uh, we'll be here watching it this week unfold. And I think if they stay in pat to where they are right now, they should not sell. Otani. They should try and add something to make a playoff run. I just don't know how deep their system is. Their farm. I don't know how coveted their players are. So I guess they have to make a decision at some point this week. They absolutely do. All right. Should we move on? All right. I kind of wanted to touch on a few series going on this weekend. Aside from what we've been watching, obviously we do Padres watch and Otani watch. And I think, you know, the expectation for the next week or so on our podcast is we'll probably be covering this quite a bit because it's constantly changing storyline. Yeah. Again, once the Padres hit four losses, the white flag is coming out We're we're waving it. We're saying they're done. I, I still don't know if that's even true anymore because <laughs> of the way things change. And we're, we're going to talk about a few of those things right now. But nevertheless, I want to stick to this plan. It's a good plan. We need to go five and two over the next week. We, we talked about it. So Okay. The numbers are in. Now, most surprising series to me, though, this weekend so far has been going down in Arlington, Texas, uh, where the Dodgers have walked into Arlington and just mopped the floor with the Rangers. Yeah, they sure that did. Cer- certainly surprising to me. And the Dodgers are kind of coming out. I, I don't know. I, I looked at all year long that the AL was better than the NL. And I'm starting to doubt it. Now, I feel like Atlanta's become the best team in baseball. They've sort of taken that mantle from the Rays. And to see the Dodgers head into this, like, Western Division leader showdown and just mop the Rangers at home, I'm a little bit surprised, especially because of how beat up the Dodgers pitching staff has been. Yeah, but they called out those two young rookies. Right. No, we know. And and Bobby Miller delivered yesterday. Mm-hmm. He improved to 6-1 and one on the season. I mean, it's Texas. He gave up seven hits and three earned runs. He struck out six, but zero walks. He didn't give him any free runners. Blake Schnell, are you watching? The success in this league is by not walking people. Yeah, and today uh, Dodgers have another rookie starting, Sheehan. Um, yeah, he's yeah. pitching today, so we'll be watching that. I like to watch the young guys pitch, of course, but um, I also wanted to point out that Texas also lost uh, Corey Seager on Friday night to a thumb injury. He hit a home run Friday night as well, which is kind of ironic, I guess, but he got his thumb banged up. He's going to be out for at least 10 days, but that's probably going to take it through the trading deadline. Looking at the calendar. So it'll be interesting to see if Texas makes any more moves. You know, we'll see if his... Sometimes as the days goes on, a a sprain can get worse. So hopefully that's not the case for Texas here. But just something to keep an eye on as we head into this last week before the trading deadline. You got any more notes on Dodgers Rangers? Nope. Okay. Well, I wanted to move on to what I'm calling the most exciting series of the weekend, which is happening in South Beach. And that is the Orange Birds taking on the Rays. Back and forth game. Yeah, back and forth series a little bit. A um, little bit, yeah. The Orange Birds struck first on Thursday, and Tampa Bay coming back and win on Friday night to even up the series, and then, which took us into yesterday's game, which was kind of this, like, showdown. The Orioles got off to a 5 nothing lead in the 
third inning, I believe. And then Tampa Bay just kind of chipped away throughout the rest of the game. And, and eventually they tied it in the bottom of the eighth, only for the Orioles to score one in the top of the ninth. And uh, they escape with a win yesterday. So what does this do for the Orioles? Well, this will guarantee them that when this series is over, they will at least have a share of first place in the AL East. And if they win today, it will be theirs outright alone. But if they, for some reason, lose today, they still get a split of the series, which I think is a big morale boost. Not that they need it. Uh, maybe morale is the wrong word, but a, a confidence boost, if you will, for a young team. Yeah. The Orioles are a young, young team out there, and they really, so it's, it's exciting to watch them. I mean, the Rays are young too, you know, so... It's, it's interesting to watch both of these young teams kind of duke it out. And and good for the Orange Birds. They, they hung in there all year long, despite everyone talking about Tampa and how big of a lead they got off to. The Orioles, for all intents and purposes, never fell further behind during that They've time. They've been very steady. You know, they, they, they stayed within like three to five games the whole time. And, mm-hmm. and then we saw them slowly chipping away and becoming the better team. So here we are. And they have this kind of Sunday showdown today. Do you think Tampa's going to tie the series today? Or you think the Orange Birds are going to walk out well, the definitive see. division leaders today? That's a very good question, considering who is pitching today. Um, well, my money will be on the Orioles. Yeah, I mean, uh, it looks like Tyler Wells is pitching, if I'm not mistaken. Yes. And I, I can't remember the... Broadly. I can't remember his first name, though, I was going to say. Oh, for the Tampa Bay? Yeah. A Taj Broadly. Taj Bradley. I mean, yeah, just the numbers would seem to give the Orioles the edge today, but it's you never know. It's you never zero. know. We'll see. So, nevertheless, uh, we got the Sunday showdown. That gets going at about 1.40 Eastern time, 10.40 Pacific. So, yeah, get ready, folks. Lots of good games going on today. All right, this brings me to my most disappointing series so far of the weekend, and that would be the Giants of San Francisco visiting the Nationals. And it, it's like, these are the head scratchers in the in this season that you look at, right? Like the Giants coming into this, putting again another winning streak, and then like halted in their tracks by the Nationals? Okay, but the Nationals putting up 14 hits yesterday, 10 runs, taking it. To Logan Webb, yeah, uh, you know one of the better pitchers on the Giants. So I don't think he's been doing so well this season. He's a eight for eight. So I don't know if that's the best. Nevertheless, you see him going up against Washington. You think that they're going to win this game somehow? And they do. It, so they didn't. Nevertheless, it is Washington with this. Well, the Giants now have a four-game losing streak, and it looks like. Today, they are electing to go with uh, their traditional Sunday special bullpen by committee. We've seen this from San Francisco many times this season, and they are going up against the young Mackenzie Gore. I would say at this point in his major league career has probably been a little bit of a disappointment. He's shown signs of being good, but the win and loss record, the ERA, pretty similar to where it was with San Diego last year, and haven't seen him take that next step yet, unfortunately. And there's not much time left to take the next step for Mackenzie Gore. Yeah. I mean, he's still young, right? He's like 24. Uh, you just don't know if there's a lot more room. Where's the ceiling at, I guess? We don't, we don't know. When you see two seasons like this in a row, it makes you think, maybe this is the ceiling? I hope not. I hope not either. I can't make him pitch better. No, of course not. I It just, yeah. I, I hope Mackenzie Gore nothing but the best. I just feel like we've seen enough at this point to start to wonder where is the ceiling actually at with this guy. I wish it was higher, but it doesn't look like there is much more room to go. Maybe he needs better coaching. Well, 
we'll, we'll just have to wait and see, you yeah. know? Like, you could be brilliant today. We'll, we'll wait and see. The Reds are also taking it to Arizona. So we've seen a couple of the NL West teams sort of falter as of late. The Reds taking the first two against the Diamondbacks this weekend. And they will wrap it up today. Doesn't look like the best pitching matchup going on there. I know the Reds are holding Andrew Abbott for their game on Tuesday at Milwaukee. And yes, you heard me right. The Reds are playing at Milwaukee again. This will be the third series between the two NL Central leaders as of now. It just so happened like within a few weeks of each other. Yeah, it's just really strange. So anyways, we'll see if the Diamondbacks can end their three-game losing streak right now. So we got the Giants at a four-game losing streak, the Diamondbacks at a three-game losing streak, and then the Phillies also in the wildcard hunt losing four in a row. They lost one to zip Saturday at Cleveland. And they are getting their rubber match underway right at the same time as everyone else today, right around 140. And we have, I wanted to mention one other team. Because we spent so much time talking about the expected win and loss record based on your runs scored versus runs against. Well, when I did that, another team jumped out at me in the National League as, huh, I wonder if they're a sleeper. Because I think we've been calling them sellers for a lot of the last... Well, most of the season. Okay. Uh, the Chicago Cubs, they hold a plus 36 run differential. Yeah. They've scored 36 more runs than they've given up. That's good enough right now for fourth in the National League, believe it or not. Mm -hmm. They are the number four team behind the Padres. So it literally goes Atlanta, L.A. Dodgers, San Diego Padres, and Chicago Cubs for best run differential right now in the National League. But the records do not reflect that. Atlanta and L.A., yes. Number one, number two, San Diego and Chicago are definitely not number three and number four. But again, much like the Padres, the Cubs, if you look at their expected win and loss record, it would put them at 53 and 45. And I just don't know if their brass or if their management is looking at this in a similar way as I'm looking at the Padres right now and saying like, well, you know, we should be 11 games over 500 based on how many runs we've scored. Now, I know you got to still go out and play them. But I'm talking about like a long season where averages tend to play out over time. And I think, again, you can't do anything about where you are. All you can say is like, well, we're five and a half games out. The Cubs were six games out. We should be better than we are. If we continue playing at the level we've been playing, we should do better in the second half than our record in the first half reflected. Okay, that makes sense on paper. So you but... hang on to these things, and and I guess where does that leave the Cubs? Do you think they're sellers? It's tough. I mean, at least... Today, I think they think themselves sellers. They haven't extended anybody's contract yet. Yeah. I, I go back to the email. I still get Cubs emails from the team in the offseason and stuff. Like I get from Padres and all the other teams we follow, Angels. Sure. But I, I remember getting the Cubs email in the offseason from the owner, from the Ricketts owner, saying that, like, we want to put a competitive team on the field this year. And, and that's why they went out and signed guys like Cody Bellinger, Dansby Swanson, and even Trey Mancini, mm -hmm. is to put some, some veteran talent around the young Cubs, you know, like Christopher Morrell and, well, uh, what's his name? Nico Horner. Nico Horner, thank you. And I was thinking of the outfielder, uh, Talkman. He's been playing really well. So they wanted to put some veteran pieces, though. And the Cubs have a great farm system. Like, they have players that haven't even made it here yet, like Pete Crow Armstrong, who's, like, one of the top ten prospects in all of baseball. So, okay, 
where does this leave the Cubs? I, I think they have to sort of see how their next week turns out. But I, I've loved to see them take two out of three so far from St. Louis in this series because, you know, it's always fun for me to watch the Redbirds lose. And I think I don't trust St. Louis. Personally, as you can see, they're seven and three over their last ten. I just don't trust them. Okay, that's fair enough. But again, I'm I'm just looking at this, you know, expected win and loss record. And if you look at the rest of the teams in the National League, other than the Cubs and the Padres that I just pointed out, a lot of teams are fairly close to what their expectations are. I'll, I'll give you some examples. Atlanta's expected win and loss record is sixty-two and thirty-five. Their actual is 63 at 34. It's only one game off, right? If you look at a team like Cincinnati, Cincinnati's 54 and 46. They have a negative seven run differential. That They've scored seven less runs than they've given up. And their expected win and loss record is 49 and 51. So they're almost kind of like the opposite of the Cubs and Padres. They haven't scored as many runs, but they've found ways to win closer games. Well, the same thing applies to Milwaukee. Same thing applies to Milwaukee. Absolutely. But it's just all about this expected win and loss record. So, like, when you look at the expected win and loss records, like, how they would stack up right now in the NL would be, like, literally how I said, Atlanta, L.A., and then it goes San Diego, Chicago, you know? That that would be your top four. And then it would go San Francisco, Arizona, Philadelphia. So that would be, like, those would be the Cubs, Arizona, San Francisco, San Diego, those would be like your teams battling it out for the wild card right now, but we see a much different picture at the moment. Well, we'll see what we'll see what happens. Um, speaking of a wild card in the NL, Miami. What happened to Miami? Miami has lost eight games in a row. Everybody, they've lost two at home to Colorado. They are tanking and tanking fast. Oh, I know why they are. They were playing above their weight. And again, you look at their expected win loss record. They're supposed to be four games below 500 based on their total offensive putout. We've also seen Luis Arise sort of drop out of the 400 conversation a lot. And that, and it's not a knock against him at all. He's still batting 375, everybody. Mm-hmm. He still hit two for four yesterday, but it's just really hard to get four hits out of every 10 at bats. It really is. But you don't know if that slump or whatever you want to call it for him has affected the team in any way. You know, he was getting a lot of press. He was getting a lot of uh, buzz at the all-star break, especially, you know, is he going to hit 400? Is he going to hit 400? And as he has sort of dropped from going from like in the 390s to now in the 370s, has that affected the team at all? You know, who knows? But things are not great for the fish right now. No. All right. Well, that's all the action that I got from yesterday. I wanted to quickly, before we get off today, turn our attentions to the Hall of Fame because it is Hall of Fame Sunday in the major leagues. And today we will be celebrating the induction of two players to the Hall of Fame. Scott Rowland, who was elected by the baseball writers last January, or this past January, I should say, with a 76.3% of the vote. He passed the 75% needed to be elected to the Hall of Fame. So congratulations to Scott Rowland and Freddie Boom Boom McGriff. That's what I think I called him as a kid, but uh, Fred McGriff, the crime dog, he is getting elected to the Hall of Fame as well, voted by his peers as a, he was never elected by the writers themselves. You get a 10 year window where the baseball writers elect you or not. And it starts five af- five years after you retire. Who qualifies as a baseball writer? All the news people or the broadcasters? I don't know exactly how it works, but I would assume like once you've worked for a newspaper or a, an unaccredited newspaper based on like establishment, 
okay, we're from Chicago, Chicago Tribune or Los Angeles, Los Angeles Times, you know, New York, New York Times. Once you've worked for a major publication for a certain amount of years and covered a team as a beat reporter or as a column, I don't know. But I would guess at a certain point you get a letter in the mail saying like, hey, congratulations on your esteemed, you know, you've been invited to join the baseball writers, blah, blah, blah. So then you can probably pay a fee and join the baseball writers if you want and become eligible to vote for the Hall of Fame. So he wasn't voted by the writers. He was voted similar to like Hollywood guilds. Let's put it like that. Like. I got you. A, a director's guild or something. They're now eligible to like vote on the Oscars in the future if they've won an Oscar. Okay. You know, like that kind got of it. stuff. So that's how the players vote works, by the way, with like Fred McGriff. So the baseball writers did not elect Fred McGriff mm-hmm. to the Hall of Fame. They chose not to, despite his numbers. Nevertheless, his peers stepped in. Once you're off the ballot after 10 years, the existing Hall of Famers that are alive have an opportunity to select players that they think were overlooked by the baseball writers. Okay, so the players that already are in the Hall of Fame get to vote, not the players that play on the teams. Correct. Now, there's no guarantee that anyone needs to make it every year. So we have these two inductees this year. I have some thoughts. I looked at Scott Rowland's numbers, and I know they're they're a little bit controversial. I I will say, I'm someone that grew up with, there was a Chicago Cubs player named Ron Santo who was always considered to be overlooked for the Hall of Fame. And when you look at his career numbers and it was like, oh, he's close, but he's not quite as good as these guys or so. However, when you look at Scott Rowland's numbers today versus Ron Santos numbers, Scott Rowland is like a lot lower in a lot of numbers. For example, Ron Santo had 2,254 hits in his career and Scott Rowland only had 2,077. So like 200 less hits total home runs. Ron Santo had 342. Scott Rowland had 316. So Ron Santo put up almost 25 more home runs in his career than Scott Rowland did. And again, I'm saying he was not considered a Hall of Famer when he was alive. Ron Santo only got put in the Hall of Fame afterwards by the players. And that wasn't even a thing, by the way, until more recently. Oh. Where the players could select someone that they thought was overlooked by the writers. Okay. So So Ron Santo did get put in the Hall of Fame eventually, but he was constantly overlooked by the writers and i remember when he didn't get elected you know he he was we'll we'll talk about pat hughes more in a minute because he was elected as a broadcaster this year but he and ron santo used to do the cubs games together and i'll never forget the day ron santo didn't get it on the 10th year he was really upset and he was diabetic and a lot of people didn't know this when he played you know, like he said he hit a home run one time and like ran back to the dugout and ate a candy bar because he thought he was going to pass out. What a wrong thing to eat. Well, that was the science back then. Yeah. And that's why his legs got amputated when yeah. he got older. You know, and it's unfortunate for him. And that's probably why he's not alive today either. Bad medical advice. But, you know, that's a whole nother story. The point is, is like Rod Santo had to play almost handicapped and no one knew. You know, this was in a in an age and where we didn't talk about this stuff because he didn't want to be looked at as a weakness. Yeah. Players and other teams knowing yeah. about his weakness. So, yeah. Oh. And But, again, you know, the career numbers. I think if Scott Rowland is a Hall of Famer from the baseball writers, then Ron Santo got shafted his entire life. And he deserved to get that honor when he was alive and, and enjoy it while he was alive. That's a shame that he didn't. It is. It's one of the biggest shames of the Hall of Fame. Yeah. 
Um, but nevertheless, I don't want to take anything away from Scott Rowland. And I want to offer up a congratulations. He had a great career with the Phillies and the St. Louis Cardinals. He will go in wearing the Cardinals cap. You kind of have to choose a team. Unless you're Fred McGriff, apparently, who he has decided not. not to wear a cap. He says he played for six teams and he said, no, no logo. No logo. No no endorsement for any of them. So um, I think that's fair. I think he should have gone in as a brave Personally, I think that's where he saw the most success in his career, especially from a team standpoint, the team achievements during that time. But he is one of the few players that led the American League and the National League in home runs in different seasons, obviously. <laughs> but he, he did it. Um, and he, he also had a fun, I think he played for fun teams. You know, he played for the Blue Jays, the Padres, the Braves, uh, and then Tampa Bay very early on in their existence. He got to play for the Cubs and the Dodgers a little bit towards the end and then uh, finished back off with Tampa Bay. So really great career numbers, though. 493 home runs. I remember when he retired. I remember that he couldn't hit 500. It was like a big, like, uh, and he was just like, man, I'm done. I can't. Did I have another year? I'm not coming back for seven home runs. <laughs> you look at a guy like Pujols. Remember, remember last year how hot he got at the end? Yeah. Like, he knew it was over. You know, like, I think, unfortunately, Fred McGriff didn't have that run in his last season. I'm looking at his 2004 numbers, uh, two home runs. So he, he wasn't able to finish. Oh, he only played 27 games. Maybe let's look at 2003 or 2002, like, when he played a lot of games. See. Well, he still hit 30 home runs in 2002 and 13 in 2003, and then it was it was over. So he knew it. He knew it. Yeah, 18 seasons it looks like. Uh, 8,700 at bats, 2,490 hits, so almost 2,500 hits. It's so funny. He was like 10 hits short of 2,500, a milestone. Seven home runs short of 500, a big milestone. But he did crack 1,550 RBIs, so he did crack 1,500 RBIs, which is also a big milestone. You don't get to have it all, I guess, in numbers sometimes. Yeah, so neither one of these guys, by the way, Scott Rowland or Fred McGriff, was a speedster out there, so uh, not a lot of stolen bases. But yeah, so uh, that ceremony gets underway today at 1.30 Eastern, so that's going to be in about a couple hours by my watch over here on the west coast yeah we have a lot of early games no yeah. games because of it well they're actually it, the the mets and red sox are on espn tonight oh they are yeah i saw that i i, I wanted to let you know oh 7 p.m though that's okay but yeah everything else is getting under underway pretty early except for the angels uh, pirates and astros athletics they'll be getting underway about one o'clock West Coast time, so 4 o'clock Eastern. But nevertheless, I'm sure a lot of people are going to be watching the Hall of Fame ceremony today, and when you do, you will see that there are going to be more than 50 current Hall of Famers in attendance, and there will also be a honoring of former pitcher Carl Erskine, who is getting the Buck O'Neill Award. Oh my gosh, I forgot what this is. Sorry. The Buck O'Neill Award recognizes an individual's extraordinary efforts to enhance baseball's positive impact on society. Carl Erskine is long gone, by the way. He played for the Dodgers from 1948 to 1959, but his post-baseball life included spending four decades as a volunteer for the Special Olympics. And he also founded a charitable organization called the Baseball Assistance Team to confidentially help members of the baseball family who were in need of assistance with nowhere else to turn. That's nice. Yeah. So he's getting uh, this Buck O'Neill Lifetime Achievement Award, which is a sort of a selection into the Hall of Fame, not necessarily based on your playing merits, but as a contribution to the game of baseball. We also have a member of the press going in as a Baseball Writer Association Award winner. That would be John Lowe, who was the Tigers beat reporter. He did that for 36 years. Oh, wow. He worked for the Detroit 
the Detroit Free Press from 1987 to 2014, and he also created the Quality Start Statistic. Oh. So congratulations to John Lowe. And then we talked about it on the last podcast, but really quickly want to mention again, Pat Hughes, you know, a big part of my childhood and... uh Congratulations. Aww. I would just like a moment. Congratulations to Pat Hughes, who, of course, is uh, getting the Ford C. Frick Award and becomes the third Cubs broadcaster. Becomes the third Cubs broadcaster to get that award following Jack Brickhouse and the legendary Harry Carey. Holy cow, everybody. You made it through. Okay, next up for the Hall of Fame, I have four players written down that might be on the radar for next year's candidacy. Todd Helton former Rockies first baseman slugger, Andrew Jones, a gold glove center fielder for the Atlanta Braves, Billy Wagner, the closer. One, one of the, Well, we see closers start to get inducted into the Hall of Fame. It hasn't been a big thing, and Billy Wagner is on the bubble, so let's keep an eye on that, especially as the game changes and our perceptions of what a Hall of Famer means going forward. So the closers are a new addition, basically. Well, there's been a few that have made it, like the greats, like Lee Smith, the guys that have the big save career numbers, you know? Okay. Um, but, but there's this, like, next threshold. But so they, we'll, we'll see. Okay. The, a lot of times, those guys used to get three inning saves, two right, inning right. saves, you know? It means more to the guys that voted and, and stuff a little bit. For sure. And, and I think the modern game, the way it's changed, it hasn't caught up with voting yet. Gotcha. And then the last guy is Gary Sheffield. Gary Sheffield is is on the last year of his candidacy next year. The reason why he is sort of mentioned is he's a steroid-era player, and, you know, he's a guy that I think was pegged as being on performance-enhancing drugs. But he never admitted. Never admitted it, And but I think you you hear a lot of veterans talking about, like, he deserves to be in it, and but I don't think the writers are going to cave on this one. All right. Well, I think that's going to cover all of my Hall of Fame coverage, so uh, congratulations to all of this year's inductees and we will watch and recap any of the highlights from the ceremony today on tomorrow's episode of the Kanika baseball podcast but that's going to wrap it up for th- today's episode if you want to get a hold of us you can email us at kanika daily at gmail.com or you can find us on social media on twitter facebook tiktok youtube just search for Kanika baseball and you will find us i promise and you will be able to contact us i'm going to officially sign off now this is Kenny. Thanks for signing off, Kenny. I'm going to sign off with you. So we Thanks, can watch some games. We'll, we'll work on this sign off, everybody. Bye. Enjoy the Sunday games. Enjoy the Hall of Fame. And we will be right back here tomorrow. Talk to you then, everybody. Bye. Bye.